Well, hello again. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here. And this month, what we're doing is we're walking through um, our kind of updated vision as a church. Last week, Marty preached on one of our values, and I'll be looking at the next three values we have over the next three Sundays. But just to kind of give you a background, this is all contained in very short form in a video we released about three or four weeks ago. If you haven't seen that, you're, you're going to want to see that explaining uh, the process. But starting in January, all of your elders, those currently serving and those who served in the past, got together. We started meeting monthly, praying together, looking at demographics and spending some time in the scriptures, really trying to discern what the Lord would have us to do. I think we did the math and Marty and I came up with, I think, somewhere like 285 man hours we spent between January and June looking over these things. And we came to a unanimous, I mean, how do 30 men come to something unanimous? We came to a unanimous um, idea that these four values were really what we thought the Lord wanted us to concentrate on as a church. And so we articulate them as live, grow, thrive, and go. And we're going to expand on each of that over the next couple of weeks. So our vision for a church, if you want to see that on the front of your bulletin, is a robust church, joyfully united to Jesus, our community, and each other. And we're going to work through these values over the next month. And so one of the passages that we landed on as elders that we kind of went through, and this is just kind of introduction, I'm not preaching on this passage, but I want to draw your attention to Ephesians 4, uh, chapter, uh, verse 11 and 12. And this is a, a passage that we kind of landed on, and this is where Paul looks at the elevated Jesus Christ. He's been resurrected now. He's been enthroned as the king, and as any king, what does he give as a, his inauguration gifts? And Paul says this, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we've gotten our four values from these. Last week we saw in verse 16 where it says it builds itself up in love. That's fellowship. The action there is congregation to congregation kind of within, building up the family together. And the metaphor is the church as a family. We were reminded last week, Marty told us, you know, because of our union with Christ, Whenever Christians get together, it is a Christian activity. So often we seem to have this pressure that we have to Jesus stuff up, right? We can't just get together for tea and talk and share lives. So we got to pray or make it a Bible study so it's Christian. And Marty pointed out, no, if Christians are there, God is present. And so fellowship in and of itself is a beautiful activity that we need to imbibe in together because where we are present, Jesus is present with us. So we look at that togetherness and that community that God has in store for us. That's congregation towards congregation. This week, we're going to look at discipleship, or what we're calling grow. Now that we're all in the family of God, what's next? Well, the answer is to grow healthy together. Back in that Ephesians passage in verse 12, it says one of the reasons he gave gifts is to build up the body of Christ. So that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is building up the body of Christ. That, that phrase there for building up is re actually refers to architecture. It refers to structure. It refers to kind of like the... the interior part of something that makes it strong. I want you to think of, you know, the, the tragic news that was about, what, three, four months ago? That, that building in Florida collapsed. It collapsed because over the course of years, or as the investigation is starting to maybe make it look like, from the very beginning, its structure was compromised, was not well built. And so eventually the structure collapsed and everything collapsed with it. That is what Paul speaks of here when he says the building up the body of Christ. He's talking about the structure, the architecture. 
And so Jesus, as the resurrected Lord, gives gifts to his church to build them up, to create a structure, to make us strong, to make us secure. That's discipleship. That's growing our faith. And your session is passionate about that growth. We want to see us growing healthy together because we value discipleship. So one of the passages we're going to look at today um, is Philippians 2. Another we're going to look at is Matthew 28. And we're not going to stand up and read those like we normally do because we're going to get to them kind of piecemeal. So if you would, before we get to those passages, would you please pray with me? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've revealed yourself to us in scriptures that we can gain wisdom from specific parts of your Bible and from various parts of your word. And so Lord, we pray that as we come to various parts today that you would reveal truth, help us to grow, that we might know what you have in store for us. We pray, Father God, that you would help us to know what it means to be a disciple and that you would help us to want to do that, to pursue after discipleship. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... I was a teacher for a little while, very, very little while in a private school, but some of my teacherness is coming out, so I'm gonna, we're going to do a little class exercise here. So our four values are live, grow, thrive, go. And I want you to say those with me, okay? Live, grow, thrive, go. So can I be a teacher and be like, very good. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go over these together over the next month. So today we're talking about grow, and the first place we're going to land is in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Paul, talking to another church about Jesus, says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but more, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Don't freak out. This is one of those verses where people freak out. I remember when I was, first became a Christian, I was assigned a mentor, and, the, and one of the first verses we memorized together was this one, and, and I remember he would make me say the comma. He would actually make me say the word comma. He goes, don't you dare stop at trembling. Always say comma. So I had to memorize it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, comma. Because if you've been around church world, some folk really like that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Right? It's used as the New Testament version of shape up or ship out. Try harder, do more, exert effort to be a Christian. And of course, you get to judge those non-Christians who don't work as hard as you do, right? Work out your salvation. But Paul here speaks of discipleship, not becoming a Christian. And that's why we need the comma. If we're talking about getting into God's family, about being rescued, that is totally by God's grace. Nothing of our works. We don't bring anything to that transaction except the sin and brokenness and death that makes rescue necessary. He brings all the activity to us. Our being made right with God and the gospel is solely an act of God's free grace for sinners. It's what theologians call justification. It's a big fancy word that means that God makes us right by his grace alone. But God doesn't just leave us there. He wants us to grow in our faith. And so part of being justified, part of being in God's family, part of being made right is that we will grow in our faith and thus the comma, because in verse 13, God guarantees it. Work out your own salvation, fear and trembling, comma, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God guarantees it. But yet we come to that phrase in church world, we hear work out your salvation, we're like, works. Right? We freak out. So 
you know, let's replace the noun salvation with any other noun and we don't freak out as much, right? Let's say, how about body? Work out your own body. Oh, okay, right. I need to go do something. I need to go to the gym. I need to go to get healthy. So using it in that way, it helps us understand. So I want to introduce you to somebody. Um, let me give you a setup real quick to help us get there. So my wife and I are big-time college football fans, as some of you are. Um, we're Baylor grads, so we're Big 12 fans. And so um, Baylor invented the hurry-up offense, just by the way, and started putting points on the board. The Big 12 copied it and started putting points on the board. And now even Alabama is copying it. So you're welcome that Baylor made college football more enjoyable. They actually scored points. Anyway, so, wow, that felt flat. Y'all aren't even laughing? That's, that felt so flat. Gosh. Okay. Anyway, okay, this is a football. Do I need to start right there? So, anyway, in, in Big 12 football, we have a really cool ref. He, he got famous a couple years ago. This is Mike DeFee. Mike DeFee it was one of the, just a really great ref. He's mid-50s the time this picture is taken. He got famous in his late 50s when his team was selected in 2017 to be the officiating team for the national championship. And he got famous because here's this guy who's pushing 60, who's got arms bigger than most of the football players. In fact, I learned a word that night that I didn't le learn before from Twitter. It was like, whoa, that ref is swole. I was like, I went to my wife, who was a teacher, who's in youth culture. I was like, uh, what does that mean? She's like, you know, swollen, like big. He's muscular, swole. I was like, okay, cool, swole. He's like, no, stop saying it because it makes me cringe. Don't say that. <laughs> So uh, the Twitter handle went crazy of beef ref that night and looking at this guy. You can tell this guy works out, right? This guy has gone to the gym and he's worked out his muscles. And so that gives us kind of the idea of working out that Paul is talking about here. Your session's vision for Sycamore is to be a body-building community of Christians. We're building up the body together. So with live, last week, the metaphor is the church as family. With grow, the metaphor is the church as a gym, where the action is the congregation towards the word and towards Jesus, building up our faith. So at the gym, you go to work out your muscles. And did you already have the muscles when you got there? This is class specific. This means yes, right? You didn't, you didn't walk in as a skeleton, right? You had muscles already. You didn't have to go to the gym and work real hard and try real hard and go through all the hoops. And here's your muscles. Oh, yay, I earned my muscles. No. So too, when Paul says work out your own salvation, you don't have to earn your salvation. It's been given to you. Now you're going to work it out. What you've already been given, you're going to go and get strong. With God's help, we become more holy. We become more and more like Jesus. We become healthy. Discipleship is the present tense of the gospel. What, what God's grace is doing in me today, how I'm showing it in my life. It's about working it out right now. So I'm going to give you an example of this. So many of you know this story. I've said it before. So I, I am, I'm by no means skinny, I know, but I used to be a lot bigger. I remember I was pushing 300 at one point. And a little bit after that, I became a firefighter chaplain. And as I was going through firefighter training, um, our final exam was this twofold thing. The first thing you had to do, you had to get on full gear, get on oxygen, and you ha had to go sit in the oven with your team. And the oven was an insulated box, a small room, and they set a bale of hay on fire, and you had a hose and a monitor, and they got the room up to 850 degrees, and you had to sit in it for five minutes. They, 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 they turned the hose on to let it get, you know, once it got to 900, that's too hot, bring it back down, you had to sit. So you had to cook. I had to bake at 850 degrees. I'm well done for five minutes. Then you get out. They hose you down and you steam off. They let you cool down for five minutes only. And then you have to do your real final exam. Still on oxygen. You haven't, you haven't topped off your tank. You have to run 10 yards. 
grab an axe, chop through a bunch of two-by-fours, put the axe down, turn, run 10 yards back, grab a chainsaw, crank the chainsaw, cut through a sample section of roof, put the chainsaw back down, the right firefighter way. Then you have to grab a hose pack and you have to hike it up three flights of stairs. Of the train, and then you have to run back down and repeat as much as you can until the five-minute timer stops or you die. Um, so here's Sean, probably 32, 33, going through training with most of the guys who were 18 and 19. So I was the old coot in the group. And 90 seconds in, Sean was in trouble. I, 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 was, I was barely moving up the stairs. All of a sudden, one of those young bucks ran by me and smacked me on the behind. He goes, what's wrong, old man? Where, where, where's your bark, rev dog? That was my call sign. And I was like, oh, no, he didn't. Just out of sheer spite, man, I dug deep, and I was able to catch him <laughs> and smack him back. And then I was done. I had nothing left. I couldn't even move it. I just collapsed. Two minutes, five seconds. That's all I had in me at 33 years old. And I just remember thinking, that is really sad. And so I made a commitment right then and there because I was just sick and tired of being out of shape. I was sick and tired of not having energy. I wanted to be a better father. I wanted to be a better firefighter. I wanted to be a better human. I wanted to like maybe one day play with grandkids and be around for that. I wanted to have the blood pressure of a 33-year-old instead of a 70-year-old. You know, I was tired of going to the pool with Nikki and hearing jokes about Jabba the Hutt and Leia. So you know, I don't know why I looked like Leia, but whatever. So. so I started working out systematically, regularly. And the point of that is this. Did I have to earn my fatherhood through working out? Was I not a father before? Did I have to earn my humanity? Did I have to earn my husbandship, whatever you call that? No, I already had it. But I wasn't any good at it I didn't have any energy. I did have to work and exert effort to get healthier. That is working out your salvation. That is what Paul is saying here. We are saved by grace. We are adopted children of God, but we can be flabby, out of shape Christians when it comes to being disciples. We can work, so we need to work out our salvation, exercise our faith, get swole, be disciples. Now, please make sure you understand here, I'm using a metaphor. I'm not saying that if you're overweight, you're a bad Christian, okay, right? Okay, clear that I'm saying. Good, metaphor. So, and here's the great part about it, verse 13. God guarantees this is going to happen. He says this will work in his people. The sovereign God himself works for his pleasure in y'all, the text tells us. So God doesn't merely command growth in verse 12. He then empowers and gives it in verse 13. So that's kind of our big picture of discipleship. So I want to ask a couple questions and we'll close this out. So what is discipleship? Well, discipleship comes from the ancient Greek word that we get mathematics from. So it's, it's the idea of being a student and being a learner, but it's also kind of a little bit of suffering and hardship in there. It's not easy. It's hard. This is deeper than being a mere follower. This is a reordering of your life around a person or an idea where that person becomes your identity. See, disciples aren't involved in church. Disciples are committed to Jesus. And that's a key distinction we need to make between involvement and, and commitment when it comes to discipleship. So I want, I want to help you get this. I want you all to think of a breakfast. Think of like a beautiful breakfast, like some good eggs and bacon. You got that in your mind? Okay. Maybe we can get it in front of our eyes in a second. There we go. So eggs and bacon, right? Beautiful breakfast here. The chicken is involved with breakfast. The pig is committed to breakfast. All right. See, 
And disciples are committed to Jesus because Jesus is committed to his disciples. Some of his very last words he gives us show this commitment to us. Very famous passage called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It's in your bulletin. I believe we have a slide as well. Some of Jesus' last words, he says this. Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you notice there what Jesus comes and says. Notice the order. You join the family. You're brought into the family. And then you learn the ways of the family. That's Christianity. It is not like religion which says, act like one of the family, and then maybe you get to join. That's not Christianity. Jesus says, you're already in. Here's what the family looks like. And then Jesus gives a specific Example and definition of what it means to be a disciple. It says, teaching them to observe everything about them. Teaching us to observe. It doesn't just mean obey. It means to guard, to keep, to protect. Disciples guard, we keep, we protect the sum total of Jesus' life and teachings. I want you to think about that fantasy that many of us have. And it's not just a traditionally masculine. There's plenty of women. I know my daughters tend to have this fantasy. It's this fantasy of deep down being extremely capable to take care of what you need to take care of. You may look like a common schlub, but if someone goes after your family, all of a sudden you're like, you know, black belt out of nowhere. Who is this guy? Like James Bond. It's why, why do so many people fantasize about James Bond and just being that, that kind of guy? Or, or Jason Bourne. Or maybe Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, right? If, if, I know plenty of women do this too. What is that about? Why is it so common for us to have that fantasy? Because deep down, if the Bible's true, that's discipleship. We are called and empowered by God to be strong and capable in Jesus, able to keep and protect his life's work, his church and the gospel. That's what we were meant to do. That's discipleship, to be the secret agent. Instead of a license to kill, you have a license to live and grow. See, disciples work out in the Bible. We're in shape through prayer so we can easily guard the church and the gospel. That's growing healthy together. See, this means that disciples care passionately about God's kingdom. They care passionately about God's kingdom spreading in them and then through them. So disciples can absolutely be involved in politics and give their heart to that. But their ultimate commitment, what they guard and protect, is in knowing Jesus and making him known. Disciples can be involved in current events and being up on things and knowing where the culture is, but their heart is in knowing Jesus and making him known. Disciples can be involved in their kids' education, but their heart is in knowing Jesus and making him known. So what stops discipleship? Well, sociologists today speak of what's called the sovereign self or what's called expressive individualism. We don't actually use those terms. Like, what are they talking about? We've used her before. You know, Elsa from Frozen, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And you build this kingdom of isolation where what you you need and what you want matters more than anybody else, no matter what the consequences. That's what sociologists call the sovereign self. We all tend to live in that. We swim in this culture that is just saturated with that. So what happens is, is in our culture, it, it enthrones selfishness, 
calls that righteousness, and then unleashes that on people. And our culture in and out of the church becomes all about the individual expressing themselves with no restraints. And that works against discipleship because the church is actually a group mold that kind of wants you to conform to the image of Jesus, which is seen as manipulation, cultish, or worse by a culture rooted in selfishness, which instead says, no, the purpose of life is to find one's deepest self and express that to the world. And don't let traditions tell you otherwise. Don't let religions tell you otherwise. Don't let family tell you otherwise. Don't let traditional gender models tell you otherwise. Express your deepest self. And anything that restricts your individual freedom, anything that restricts your happiness, anything that restricts your self-expression must be deconstructed and destroyed and canceled. And we bring that into church. We do. Deep down, most of us believe that the church should help us find and express ourselves. Church should cheerlead for your tribe, your politics. Faith becomes no longer focused on something true. It's a therapeutic choice to help us in pursuit of our self-fulfillment. All of that is the unhealthy flab that Christians need to work out as disciples. We constantly need to work out our salvation because the, the Bible gets distorted by our own selfishness. The Bible is now judged by how well it encourages us on the journey for self-fulfillment that we're already on. See, disciples understand that growth is a team sport and that the people of God actually have a claim on the individual Christian. Because in discipleship, it's Christians growing healthy together. Christians kind of stuck in, in self-expression or this sovereign self seek to magnify our truth using Jesus and his church to justify our choices. Christian disciples seek to magnify Jesus in his church using the truth of the gospel. It's subtle, but it's a significant difference. See, we need each other. We, we grow healthy together as the gospel gets deeper inside of us. Martin Luther supposedly said, I've never been able to actually find this as a direct quote, but let's just say he said it. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Okay, why is that necessary? Because Christians leak. That's why. We constantly rest in our works instead of Jesus. And because we rest in our works, we want others to rest in our works because we're insecure. You better agree with my works. You better agree with my tribe. See, that's the main thrust of discipleship right there. It's casting off our legalistic hearts our hearts that assume we have to earn God's love. We have to impress him with our morals. We have to impress him with our behavior. We have to impress him with our politics. In discipleship, we shed all that flab and we rest in Jesus' works alone, embracing the gracious, loving heart of God the Father. So what's discipleship look like? Discipleship is working out the salvation God has put into you. It's getting swole with some gospel muscles. It's growing healthy together as we cast off more and more of our legal hearts and embrace Jesus daily as he's offered in the gospel. Your session is passionate that we drink ever more deeply of that gospel, of the grace-filled fountain of the gospel. That's discipleship. Okay, so where does discipleship happen then? This one's really hard. Are you ready? in public worship, right here. Most Christians assume that the maturing process happens outside of Sunday worship, actually. 
that online ministries or large conferences or podcasts or one-on-one or private devotions or whatever it is, but the New Testament is insistent that the local church, especially in public worship, is the main context for growing disciples. Discipleship's not a special program. It's living as the church, participating in the life of faith. Last week, Marty preached out of Acts chapter 2. I want to look at one verse that he covered last week, Acts 2.42. It says this, So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. That's church. Most theologians and church historians read that verse. Yeah, they're talking about actually doing church. Public worship is the primary way God builds disciples. Bible study is great, but it's extra. Community groups are fantastic, and you should join one, but they're extra. Youth ministry, women's ministry, men's Bible studies, one-on-ones, they're all awesome, but they're additional. Sunday morning is where God does His work by His Spirit to build disciples. Philippians 2 is about discipleship from our perspective, 2.12. Philippians 2.13 is about discipleship from God's perspective. He works in us. He digs. He takes pleasure. He loves making our workouts effective. And the main place He does that is in Sunday morning worship. God is present in the gathered body of Christ in a way that he just isn't in other areas. And I know, I know, the expressive individualism in my heart rises up and chafes against that. Why can't it just be me and my Bible? How come that's not enough? Because God is building a dwelling for himself out of his people, plural, not out of a Christian singular. That word you in the New Testament, Y-O-U, overwhelmingly is plural. But because of our selfishness and of, our, of our culture, we read that word as singular all the time. So we, instead of the Bible being about we, the Bible is about me, right? Here we go. Let's do a thought experiment. You don't have to raise your hands. Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Book of Corinthians. Did you hear y'all or did you hear me when I said that? Right? I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. No, you're not. Y'all are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need a southern Bible that has you know, the plural, you know, you and y'all. Or the especially plural, if you're really southern, right? All y'all. So we need that because in the New Testament, it's y'all. There's probably less than five places where Y-O-U is singular in the New Testament. And yet we do, don't we? We read them all as they're singular. They're about me. They're not about we. Because we're Americans. It's about the rugged individual. And that fights against discipleship. See, disciples, those working out to become healthy, rejoice to know that God is saving we and not just me. And don't you love the balance that Scripture has of this? Yes, there is, a, there is something to be said for a rugged individual getting out there taking responsibility. Work out your salvation, fair and trembling, comma, right? Because why? You're part of a community that God is working in for his own pleasure to make right. I love that balance Scripture puts in there. And by the way, just as an aside, this is why um, online worship we provide is always a temporary Band-Aid because of the circumstances around us. It's never a replacement for worship. So where does discipleship happen? It flows from public worship with the body of Christ. So what is discipleship? Where is discipleship? And finally, what do I do? Two things. One, you show up. You show up Sunday and you put in effort during the week. 
I want you to think of, anybody ever heard of CrossFit? I never joined CrossFit. They kind of freak me out. They're kind of like a cult. But CrossFit is, they, they, they really are. And they do that on purpose. They become a, this community with this dogmatic equipment. No, not equipment. Dogmatic equivalent or whatever. This dogmatic thing to help you lose weight. And then they have accountability throughout the week. And so if you're in, you are in. Or they're going to knock on your door. Hey, you, you've been overeating. Can you go talk about that? I mean, it's a, they have like some major accountability. And church is kind of supposed to be like CrossFit. Because CrossFit has kind of made itself like a church, right? There's the main exercise event, and then there's weekly activities with accountability. So after you've had a great workout and worship on Sunday morning, man, it is a great idea to break off into one of the many Bible studies we offer. It is an awesome idea to grab someone and one-on-one get together and read Scripture. Be part of a small group. Join a community group if you haven't joined one. Get involved in women's ministry. Get your kids to youth, youth group all based on a foundation of Sunday morning. <clears throat> you show up. Second thing you do is you drink up. You marinate yourself in the gospel. Disciples want to be drenched in the gospel because grace and love at the human level does not grow alongside the self-absorption of our culture, the selfishness of our culture. <clears throat> We have to actively pursue growth together. Let me give you an example of this. So what is marriage? Marriage is one sovereign individual and another sovereign individual coming together. And what do they do? They purposely give up some sovereignty each to come together into something even better, to have a freedom they didn't have before. And when they refuse to do that, that's when the marriage doesn't work, right? So, (coughs) excuse me. So too, if we give ourselves to God, If we really work out our salvation, what we're doing, we are giving up some of our freedom to be with him and we get so much back. We get freedom from our fears. We get freedom from our insecurities. We get freedom from shame. We're free to forgive others in a way we couldn't before. We're free to love our neighbors in a way we just didn't have the ability to before. We're we're free to deal with suffering and disappointment because we've given up to get something back. That's discipleship. That... and. Discipleship is anchored in the gospel. The gospel that says we're so broken, we're so sinful, we're so messed up, Jesus had to die for us. And that humbles us in our selfishness, doesn't it? I'm so bad, Jesus had to die for me. But then that same gospel tells us we're so wanted and we're so loved that Jesus chose to die for us. And that lifts us up. It exalts us as daughters. It exalts us as sons. It empowers us to dive ever more deeply and to grow. That's discipleship. And so next week, we're going to get to thrive, where we will appropriate the discipleship that God has given us, becoming emboldened together. And for now, Sycamore is a robust church, joyfully united to Jesus, our community, and each other. And we want to live, we want to grow, we want to thrive, and we want to go. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the work of your spirit in our leaders, helping them to discern all of this. And Father, we pray that you would make us effective, Lord, that we would be disciples working for your pleasure. We pray, Lord, that you would then use us, that we might spread your kingdom, that more and more people might praise your matchless name. Lord, we do pray that you would help those of us who know you. Lord, would you help our want-tos? 
Lord, discipleship is so often fought at the battle line of desire. Would you help our desires that we, just, that we want to be disciples? And Lord, we pray for those here who do not know you. We pray, Father, that you would be true to your promise that as Jesus Christ is lifted up, you would draw all people to him. Would you do your work even now of calling forth people from death to life? And we ask this, Father, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.